Welcome to the Reconcile Community Church podcast. We hope and pray that the resources that will be shared on here would be a blessing to you. If you want more information or to support our church financially as we do the work in the beautiful Queen City of Cincinnati, Ohio, you can find more information about that at www.reconcilecincy.org. Be blessed. Well, we're back in our sermon series uh, entitled The Last Dance. And I got to tell you, there are sermons, um, there are sermons that like are just hard. And it's not necessarily that like the passage is difficult. It's just hard. (laughs) And I will say that this week's sermon has just been hard. I remember one of the past, one of my uh, mentors, he's a pastor, seasoned brother, love him dearly. He told me, Brandon, if you keep preaching, it's going to get you in trouble. He said, but don't worry, because if you keep preaching, it'll get you out of trouble. And I was like, yeah, that's 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 true. There are some times where you're going to preach difficult passages and we call them space. Uh, you know, they make space. Let's just say tough circumstances, tough passages of scripture where people don't really like it. They don't usually show back up on Sunday. But then there are some sermons that, uh, man, people love, and we call them space fillers. Man, they will fill the building, Um, and we all have experienced those things. But then he also told me this one thing. He told me, uh, Brandon, God won't use no preacher who ain't got a limp. And I like that because he's talking about this idea um, that you saw in the scriptures where Jacob wrestled with the Lord, right? You remember that? And then God, like, touched his hip, and now he always walked with this limp. And what he was getting at was that, man, a preacher worth his salt will allow the sermon to cut him before he comes in the ser- in the, the pulpit and preaching moment and then preaches a message that will, quote unquote, cut you. Uh, and so um, in a lot of ways, this is just my attempt of letting you know this ain't going to be as polished as y'all thought it would be because the Lord was cutting me up this week. Um, but hopefully it will be beneficial for you. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll be in verses 8 through 14. So if you have your Bible, um, you, can, you can go there. In my Bible, it's on page 1,251. I don't know what it's saying on your Bible, but in my Bible, that's where it's at. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. I want to make sure that we get through this particular passage as best as possible because there are questions that I would love for us to wrestle with uh, that I've had to wrestle with all week. I want to invite you into really um, my my prayer journal this week for this particular passage of scripture. When you got it, say, I got it. If you don't, say, hold up. Sounds like y'all still good. Y'all got it. Y'all good. All right. So listen to what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. He says this. This is Paul writing to Timothy. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed. 
because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. The very word of God. Amen. One of the jobs that I have, um, I have, you know, what we consider bivocational, trivocational, whatever you want to call it. But I have a job where I'm a resource coordinator. And so what that means is a fancy job title for basically I read a bunch of different resources and my boss gives me a theme uh, where uh, I am to look at all of these different resources and uh, curate a list of resources that will be beneficial for urban youth workers. So people who work in urban youth ministry uh, in any capacity, they get a resource catalog from me that's curated based off of a different thing. Now, that's the easy part. The other part that's a little bit easy for me is writing the review. That's not hard for me. I do it all the time. If you have a good reads account, follow me. I'm always reading something. I'm always writing reviews over a book. If I love it, I'll give it a glowing review. If I hate it, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell you why I don't like it. I can write reviews all day long because in a lot of ways, um, writing those things are impersonal to some degree. I'm not inviting you to read my review. You're just going to choose to read it, and if you're going to read it, you're going to read it. If you don't like it, you don't like it, right? But the hardest thing that I have to do is I have to do a video recommendation to basically sell the alumni in this program on considering the resource that I just read about. So out of all this list of resources, I choose one. And my whole job in 60 seconds is to try to encourage them to be able to uh, consider the resource that we had to do. This is the hardest part of my job. I'm very direct. If you haven't known that before, I'll give you facts. I'll tell you exactly what you need to know. I am. That's who I am. I am very direct as a person. Sometimes people will say, I don't know if you're as warm as we would want you to be. And so I did this video and uh, I thought it was great. I was so excited. I sent it in. I was super excited. And uh, if, if Kimberly's watching, she's going to laugh at this because she's one of the people that I work alongside uh, for this organization. So I sent it to her like, hey, look, here's all my stuff. I got it in well in advance of my deadline. Like I'm like feeling so good. Right. And then she hits me back. She emails me and says, Brandon, this was extremely thorough. This was really good. The only problem is, one, it was too long. And it wasn't inviting. She was like, so is it possible for you to redo this again and do it in such a way that would invite people, entice people to want to actually consider it? They don't need all of the facts of it. They need your heart. They need to hear how it's impacted you. That was some tough words for me. I wrote back, man, look, it's clear we don't know each other because this is who I am. But even though this is hard to receive, I got to take this criticism and I will be better. I didn't want these words. I didn't want that critique of me. I, I, I was a little bit offended that she would say something like that to me. In a lot of ways, I'm thinking, how dare her? How dare she? Tell me about myself like this. It was hard for me to want to receive this encouragement, this critique. It was necessary. It was beneficial, but it wasn't necessarily like the best thing that I wanted to hear. But if I wanted to be the best resource coordinator that I could be, I needed to accept this hard truth. I needed to take it into consideration. I needed it to not just go in one ear and out the other, but I really had to consider what she was saying. I didn't want to, but hear me, brothers and sisters, I needed to. 
And because I was able to do this, and it took me some time, y'all, I ain't going to say that this happened instantaneously. It took me a day to kind of think through this thing, but eventually through listening to her and accepting what it was, the hard truths that she told about myself, I was able to be better. I was able to produce three other videos on the same resource. And of those three, she said, this one works. Why do I share this story with us? Because there's times in life where we're going to have to accept some hard truths. There are going to be some things that, man, we are not going to necessarily be comfortable with. It's not going to necessarily make you always feel good. But it's necessary for you. My kids, besides Braylon, loves veg don't like vegetables. Braylon, like, for some reason, is the odd kid who will eat anything we put on her plate. We thought it was Braxton, but it has quickly become apparent that it is not him. He eats a lot of food, but certain foods, right? And, and, and in a lot of ways, Chris and I are always putting these vegetables on their plates. They don't necessarily like it, but we tell them, hey, you need this. I know you don't want the green beans. I know you don't want the string beans. I know you don't want this stuff. But because I love you, because it's because I know something that you don't know, I, I, I am doing this out of love. So you're going to eat at least three of these string beans. We got to get to a place where we can accept hard truths. Because if we're not careful, if we only accept the stuff that we feel is comfortable, makes us comfortable, makes us feel good, we can be misshaped. We could be ill-prepared. And in a lot of ways, we could be setting ourselves up. This text is interesting because Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, who's this young preacher of a church that was well-established. We've talked about this early on, how Timothy literally was stepping into, in a lot of ways, his father in the ministry shoes. He, Paul spent three years in Ephesus. Man, I told you this before. Man, when he left, there was literally tears. That's what it says. It's encouragement in the midst of tears. That's literally what it says in uh, in the title of uh, Acts, uh, towards the end of Acts, when he's leaving Ephesus. Like, this is the church that he leaves Timothy at. And Timothy is extremely insecure. And who would blame him? He has big shoes to fill. Not only that, we talk about how his background would necessitate to some degree that he would probably be insecure. How he came to faith, but his father probably wasn't in the picture. And how he ended up getting scooped up by this guy named Paul. And he wasn't the only one in the crew that was around Paul. And so jockeying for attention and all of these things, maybe those things could swell up in insecurities in him. You could see all throughout 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy, you could see this idea that Paul is always trying to encourage his son in the faith. And you would think he would just keep telling him like these platitudes. Everything's going to be OK. You know, it's going hey, you just you're going to be able to slay the monster and all of them. And sometimes he gave him those platitudes, but then he gave him hard truth like today. Where it would have been tough for Timothy to hear it, but it would have been necessary for Timothy to hear it. And what is Paul getting at here? He's talking about this idea that, man, you are a preacher of the gospel. And because you are a preacher of the gospel, man, there's going to be some implications that, man, I just got to put you on game on. You just got to know that's going to happen. There's some implications by which, man, you just being tethered to the gospel of Jesus Christ that are going to be realities for you. And although you are discouraged, Timothy, here, I am here to encourage you to let you know you ain't the only one who's going to go through this. 
Now you can see why I'm saying this is going to be struggle. Because this is what this is what Paul in a in a, in a, in a, in, a, in, a, in a in a large scale is what he's trying to get at. Paul's reminding Timothy of the implications of the gospel's impact on his life and ministry, with the hope of strengthening his resolve to stay on his post. That's the same thing that he's. I feel like is calling for us too. That we are going to find ourselves in seasons of deep discouragement, and sometimes the discouragement is going to come because you follow Jesus Christ, because you have lifted up who Jesus is. It may open up the door for some situations that may not be um, necessarily comfortable. That just because you are a Christian does not mean that you have absolved yourself from hard times. In fact, I want us to hear this. Because you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, sometimes you are inviting hardships to come. We don't like these kind of messages. Because we're used to this, you know, up and to the right mentality. Y'all want me to give y'all five steps on how y'all can have a better life. I know it. Seven steps to make sure that you can have crystal clear relationships, right? Seven ways that you can maximize or 10x your business and your life because that's, you know, your purpose is to 10x everything because God is all about expansion and, 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 and growth and all like that's what we want. But what do we do? When we face suffering, what happens when it's not 10x, but you lose the job? What happens when you tell somebody that you follow Jesus Christ and that opens up the door for them to start mocking you? You become the least popular group person in your group now. What happens on the backside of all of these other things that happen in life? Paul gives us three encouragement. He gives Timothy three encouragements that I think will help us here. First, he tells him, look, I need you to stand for the gospel no matter what. It's interesting if you were to read this passage again, 8 through 12 is interesting. Paul would start something in the top where he'll say, don't be ashamed. And then he'll finish verse 12 by reminding Timothy, don't be ashamed. I'm not ashamed because of this. The next one, he's going to show him, hey, look, suffering is going to come. And then at the end of the verse, at the end of this particular passage, he's going to say, and this is why I suffer. It's almost like it's a poem of sorts. They call this a chiasm, where there is something that's on the top and on the bottom that kind of mirrors. It's almost like a sandwich. You can kind of fold this passage up, and it's sharing something that's very important. In the middle of it is really the main point. So he's telling us all of these things, but in the middle of this passage in verses 9 and 10, he's going to tell us why we can deal with suffering and why we don't, have to be, uh, we don't have to be ashamed of the gospel because of the power of the gospel. I'm getting ahead of myself. First, he tells us, stand for the gospel no matter what. Verses 8a and 12b says this, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. Verse 12, verse uh the B portion of it, which is the second part says, but I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until this day. Paul is not saying that Timothy may have been actively ashamed of his faith, but he could be hinting that there's a possibility that he could be. He's not necessarily saying, hey man, I'm hearing through the grapevine that you out here ashamed of the gospel. I'm hearing in, through the grapevine that as I'm sitting here in chains, rotting, waiting to die, that you done turned your back on me too. That's not what he's saying. 
But what he is getting at is that there is a possibility. There is an open door here where he could invite the idea of being ashamed. As one scholar wrote, he said this, and, and I like what he said. He said, Timothy may have been embarrassed at some of the mockers. Uh, some, uh, some of the mockers saw Jesus as no more than a dead Jew. Timothy may have, been, may have wanted a more powerful vindication of the Christian message for others to see before he proclaimed the gospel. Timothy could have also been humiliated that his leader, talking about Paul, was a prisoner. Essentially, Timothy could have, been, could have been embarrassed because the Messiah of the gospel seemed to die in the worst way possible and not everyone saw the risen Savior, but could only remember his disgraced death. There could be this reality that Timothy is like, man, I got to preach this gospel about a, a Jesus that like I know lives, but they don't know that. The last thing they heard was that Jesus was hung on a tree, which was the most humiliating way to die. And that he was so broke that he couldn't even afford to be in his own tomb, that he had to be put in a borrowed man's tomb. Like we, we know the other picture, but for those days in those spaces, there were some people who may not have been a part of the 500 who would have witnessed Jesus resurrected. And now you're calling me to go out and preach about this? When other gods have these stories that seem to be that these, these gods of the day seem to be lifted up, but my God seems to be humiliated. But then not only that, I, I have a God that, that I'm supposed to be following, who's supposed to be all that in a bag of chips and a six can of Coke too, right? But he's in prison? About to die? This faith don't look, really seem like it's all that powerful. You want me to go out and share? You see, I love what this, this opens up the possibility for because it, it shares with us in a lot of ways, as I shared that, I could see the visceral response in all of us because we never considered that. Because we've been fed this idea that Maybe Timothy wanted a triumphalistic Messiah. And the end of the public story be like, you know, be something different. That he would have got up off the cross while they were taunting him and he would have called down legions of angels and wiped them out. Maybe he wanted that. Like, I can stand behind that. I can preach that message of a Jesus who's, who's man, who's, who's mighty and strong, who literally showed you as you thumbed your nose at him. He said, oh, I got something for that. We like a triumphalistic Jesus, but the story of a Messiah who hung on the cross, who died, was buried in a borrowed man's tomb, for many was a stumbling block that was hard to overcome. They mocked Timothy. This is what I want you to hear. They mocked him for what he was sharing. They laughed at him for what he was sharing. You believe in this? Ephesus was an interesting place. I tell people a lot of, in a lot of ways, think of Harry Potter. 
they, they were they were really big into the occult. They were really big into magic and all of these other things. And they would have had all of these different deities and gods and all this. It would have been a very, very um, dark place. And here comes Timothy with a ragtag group of people sharing a message about a Messiah who died and somehow was resurrected. But this isn't unique to Timothy's story, though. Paul would have to remind other people not to be ashamed of the gospel as well. Like this, it ain't just Timothy who deals with this. I'll get to the reality that even for us, sometimes we are ashamed of the message of the gospel. But listen to what he says in Romans. He says this, um, Romans 1, 16, verse 17, really just verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For the Romans, Timothy, and for us, we must come to grips with the reality that we believe what we believe sounds crazy and it requires faith to believe. And because of this, folks will laugh at you for believing what you believe. It opens up the opportunity for you to be ashamed for what you believe. I just, I'm, I just want you to sit with this. I'm just, I just want you to sit with this. I don't know if you just consciously thought about this, but I just want to share this with you. We believe in a God who in some mystery sits within a trinity that at some point a person in this Godhead came down, put on flesh, and lived like us. He was both God and man. He was both sleepy and all-powerful. He could heal and be hurt. He could not know and know at the same time. Who could use all of who uh, would use all of his creation and um, who would then go and then be falsely imprisoned, be killed in the most humiliating way possible, die broke, can't afford his funeral, be put in someone else's tomb, have the majority of his followers desert him, leave only women as credible sources of, of witnesses of what's to happen when society deemed women as less trustworthy than animals. Somehow, this same Jesus somehow resurrected, walked around, and at some point while he was talking to his friends, he got whisked up into the clouds and is seated somewhere in heaven. And at some point, in some day, he will come back for people who believe that he died to pay a penalty that they committed and that he that they will spend eternity in a city that drops from the sky and that there will be no sun to light them. But at some point, in some way imaginable, they will be lighted somehow and no one will ever have infirmaries again. That's what you believe in a nutshell. This is what you believe and what you feel fuels your life's mission and its purpose. This is the message that you say sets you free. As Killmonger would say, this your king. Of course, people will ridicule you. Oh, and the fact that your Messiah said it ain't no multiple ways up this mountain. The only way to salvation, the only way to receive this is through him. And so you can't go through Buddha's way. You can't go through New Eastern meditation and thought. You can't go through Gandhi. You can't go through any other way. He says, ain't no other way up this mountain. There's only one way to salvation, and it's through me. Which puts you at odds with every other thought or world religion. 
I share this with us because sometimes we have to, we have to be honest with ourselves. Some of us are ashamed of that message I just shared with you because it seems foolish. But don't worry, you're in good company. If you struggle with that, I just want to encourage you that you ain't the only person who has struggled with this. You ain't the only person who's been tempted to be ashamed for what you believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, I love this. For the words of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Man, got bars. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Paul goes on to tell this church in verse 27, instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has spoken, has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Paul makes it clear that he is not ashamed of the gospel, neither should we, because I love what he says, because I know whom I believe, and I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Here's why I love this. He says in so many words, I can be in prison. I can share my faith with those who mock me, and it's because I have put my faith, trust in the one who is with me, who will strengthen my hand, who will put, who will be with me no matter what. As one scholar put it, Paul knew that he had placed his faith in a living person who would never disappoint him. Why could he be, why could he be so like, man, I ain't going to be ashamed. Why he could like rock with the gospel, why he could purposely share the good news of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of all of these things happening in his life, because he knew that he had put his faith not in a thing, but in a person in the resurrected Lord. He's like, man, I can trust him because the corpus of scripture is true. That he died for me. And I know that that's true. He is the reason why we sing. I love what the old folks used to say. If it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? That's good theology, and it's a word for us today. We are not ashamed of the gospel or the places God puts us because we know he is with us and will strengthen us to handle whatever we face. He is the source of our joy, the reason why we smile when it rains, our hope in the darkest of night, our courage when all else seems lost. He is the Lord, and he is with us and has promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. But it's not that we say we are ashamed of the good news of Christ or of Jesus or of being a Christian. We won't actively say that. But brothers and sisters, sometimes we live 
in such a way that reflects that reality that we are ashamed of the gospel. See, it's not necessarily what comes out of your mouth. It's how you live based off of what you say or what it comes out of your mouth that shows if you truly believe what you are actually saying. Because if we have internalized the reality of the gospel, we live totally different. So what does that mean for us to live unashamed? That's us having faith in the public square, us living on mission, us sharing our faith, us loving our neighbors, us striving for holiness, us imitating Christ in all areas of our life. It's us having lives marked with humility, meekness, and self-control. But then secondly, this heavy lifting. He says, don't be surprised with suffering. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't be thrown off when suffering happens. This is tight. This is hard. We don't like this part. Like, he like, hey, bro. This is literally what he's saying in the letter. Hey, bro. You gonna suffer. I, I just want us to sit. I just, I'm just, I'm gonna look everybody in the face. Hey. You will suffer. I'm going to say it again. No, because you need to hear a preacher tell you this. You put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. Yes and amen. But hear me. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Paul says this, instead, share in the suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Verse 11, for this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. This deep waters, but we need this. Now, to be fair, Paul was talking to Timothy. In the original context, Timothy is a preacher. Now, this is caveated here to know that Paul is trying to encourage Timothy to stay in the pastorate. He's telling him, look, all of this stuff you're about to suffer in the original context is in relation to him being a pastor in the Lord's church, that he's going to be preaching the gospel and he's going to be faced with persecution. That's what he's getting at. The original uh, context of this is that, that he will suffer for preaching the gospel. However, this is a reality for you too. In fact, it was Jesus himself while talking to his disciples that he reminded them that no student is above his teacher. And we love that passage, but we forget the context. The context of that particular passage is in reference to him talking about this idea that he is going to suffer. He's going to face persecution. And he's telling them, hey, look, if I'm going to go through it, you're going to go through it too. This ain't one that you're going to be able to, like, weasel your way out of. This ain't a class that you can skip. We all going to have a class called suffering. I can't tell you how long you're going to be in that class. I don't know how many times you're going to have to repeat the class. But what I can tell you is that you will go through suffering. It is a fact. We cannot, we can't escape it. You can't, you can't speak it into existence that you're not going to do it. You can't outthink it. 
You can't wish it away. If you've put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, we will suffer for his name take, and sometimes the seasons of suffering will be long. And I know that that alone just turned half of y'all away, especially those of you watching. Those numbers probably dipped, didn't they, Chris? Exactly. I ain't a prophet. I just know that this is a reality that we face. Why would God allow suffering to take place? What's the reality of sin? But as James says, he says this, which is interesting. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, which i.e. is suffering because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be more mature and complete, lacking nothing. So suffering has a purpose. Although it is a ramification or implication of what sin has done, God can still use that part for his good. Acts Job. John 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that you uh, that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. We got to make space in our Christian maturity to deal with suffering. We love the flowery, the awesome, you know, the Lego theme song. Everything is awesome. We love them type of sermons. I love to preach them. They fun. I get excited like the hair on the back of my neck get excited when I get to preach this. And we get spiritually fat on sugary sermons of glorified self-help sermons. Sprinkle with Jesus, a script, you know, a spritz of scripture on there, right? Like it just be these all about us, right? It's always how we overcome, how we win, how we don't stress, how we get to the mountaintop. And my fear is that we have so many myopic, ill-shaped believers who know how to shout and thank God when all is well, but who are frail, unprepared, and skittish with God when we hit dark nights of the soul. It's like that guy in the gym who only trains upper body and never touches legs. Where you like, man, if I need him to help me move, that'd be cool for 15 minutes. But eventually him walking upstairs, he's going to tire out because he ain't never touched his legs. We misshaped. It's easy for us to thank God in the good. But when, when, when we suffer, when it's hard, it's easy for us to punt on our faith. And in all of my years of pastoring, I have seen more people leave the faith in the midst of suffering than anything else. And I think it's because we leave the faith because we don't understand the role of suffering and how we as believers are to navigate when it comes. We don't know about it because in a lot of ways, I got to put myself in this category. Spiritual leaders literally seem to be teaching that it doesn't exist. And if it does, it will never come to your doorstep because you are blessed and highly favored. You too blessed to be stressed. That somehow suffering is just going to always miss your house. That somehow it's going to just it's just going to pass over you every single time. And I got to repent on behalf of pastors and leaders who have taught that type of theology. Because we have not shaped you correctly. 
and you can't handle when you get the pink slip. You can't handle when the infertility doctor comes, the doctor fertility doctor comes back and says you're you're infertile. We can't deal with the loss of a loved one. We can't deal with our dreams and our goals and our aspirations having to die to some degree. We can't deal with the reality that there are going to be friends that we have who will break our hearts and never come back. We can't deal with the left hand of God. But Paul is telling him suffering is a reality. It's interesting because Paul says this, but then he goes on to say, how can he stay in the midst of suffering? It's a reality. But Paul says, hey, bro, as much as it is a reality that you're going to suffer, there's a way that you will be able to navigate the suffering. Listen to what he says, relying on the power of God. One scholar wrote, the power of the Holy Spirit can produce a strength that bears suffering. Paul knew that divine help was available, and he wanted Timothy to use it richly. You're going to suffer, but can I share something with you? You won't suffer alone. And if we are submitting our lives to the Lord, you will suffer, but you will not be ill-equipped. God always gives us what we need. It's up to us if we're going to actually accept it. He says, I'm relying on the power of God. He didn't say that he was going to will himself through the suffering. He said he's relying on it. I'm relying on the power of God, meaning that he's dependent upon it. Knowing that it's going to happen, he's like, I have no choice. But to cash all my chips in on God, who's going to provide? And the power that the Lord gives to me in that moment is what he's saying is enough. That I'm not going to relegate me going through this and I'm going to somehow white knuckle it like I'm going to get through this. and I'm going to do this. or I'm going to set my life up so that I can go through this hard season like because I got this. I'm strong. I got broad shoulders. Your shoulders ain't broad enough for this. But he's like, you get a choice. This is what I love about God. Like, he's like the cosmic gentleman. He never forces himself upon anybody. He's always offering us an opportunity to choose him. The spirit is literally like, bro, like he like, let me in. We get to choose. This is hard for me to share because in a lot of ways, I know that there are moments in time where I'm currently personally going through some struggles and suffering. And I have found myself trying to white knuckle it. And I'm like, man, I am exhausted. And it seems like the more I try to hold on to this and try to navigate the suffering on my own, the longer it seems this season goes. And it's like God is like, I mean, bro, I'm here. so. And maybe some of us are like that today. How do we navigate suffering? And how do we rely on God's power? 
It's a good question. I think one of the benefits, one of the things that God does uh, is that he gives us, if we were to look through the corpus of scripture, uh, Paul is always talking about this idea of discipline. He says, like, I buffet my body. I discipline my body. I submit my life uh, under the authority of of the spirit. And I think that it's in these disciplines that we can find opportunities to invite the spirit into our suffering. There are different disciplines that we can learn how to embrace that will literally uh, cause us to have to be honest with God, honest with ourselves, understand where we fall short and opportunities for us to invite the Holy Spirit in so that we can depend on him to get through it. What are those tools that help us? I won't go through all of them in detail because we've done this before. The first thing is lament. There is this beautiful invitation that God gives his people uh, with this idea called lament. Lament is is a discipline where we can name the brokenness that we find ourselves in. It gives us an opportunity to name it. It gives us an opportunity to literally be honest with God. This sucks. I'm hurting. And I don't know how to get out of this. That we can be honest with God. Some of us just need to be honest in the midst of our suffering. We don't want to claim it. Like, man, I know I'm going through this hard thing, but we ain't never named it in front of God. Like somehow God is going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe that you're going to say that about. Lament opens up the door for us to be honest with God, to be honest about our situation. But lament is also a beautiful thing because it lays out what we need. Lord, we need you in this situation, in this specific way. It's interesting because when we see laments in the scriptures, it's always interesting. We always laugh about how David and some of these writers would be so like, hey, man, break their teeth. You're like, wait a minute. (laughs) But in that process of lament, we're honest with God with what we need. And in real time, we can allow the spirit to be able to, man, we can put those things out there. God knows how to decipher what you're saying. To open the door so that we can ask God in a lot of ways is what it is that we need in the midst of these. There's so much more in lament, but there's prayer. There's listening prayer. There's prayer of examine. There's praise. There's community. There's a, a, a sacred practice of reading called Lectio Quorum Deo, Deo, where you're literally trying to, um, you're reading the scriptures, looking for the presence of God in the midst of it. These are different opportunities in the midst of suffering that literally reorient our, our focus and our vantage point on the things of God and not just our circumstances that we find ourselves in. That it opens the door for us to be vulnerable and rely on him. Not only does the Spirit grant us power, but sometimes God uses suffering to crystallize our calls. James says the fiery trials are testing of your faith. Hang in there with me. I know I'm going, I'm going long. I need, I need us to get this. But there's something about refining fire. It burns off all of the trash. It allows what is pure to come to the top to be refined. And sometimes God will allow suffering to take place so that you will be more clear on what God is calling you to do. Here's what's interesting. Paul is like, man, you're going to suffer. And he knows why he's suffering. He's like, oh, I, I know when I go through this, he's like, I know why I'm going through this. Because God has called me to X, Y, and Z. Like It's clear. 
Like, I know why I'm going through this season. I wonder how long it got, it, it took for Paul to get to this place to be able to write this with this much certainty. How much suffering did he have to go through before he could understand that, man, this suffering that he is going through is literally tethered to the call that God had on his life? I wonder how long that took. See, we just got words on pages. We don't have the space and time that it took for him to mature to this particular point. And what he's doing in a lot of ways is helping Timothy to understand, hey, boy, you're going to go through some suffering. And in the midst of the suffering, there's going to be some time where, where the Lord's going to start removing some stuff that you thought was important. That ain't why you in this. Sometimes God uses suffering to crystallize our call. He says, man, I am supposed to be a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. A herald is one who goes out and think evangelism. He's going to share the good news. That was one of the things that he knew. I go out into places and I share the good news. I am a herald. When you think a herald, a person goes before and they prepare the way. That's what he says. That's what one of my, that was one of my jobs. I am suffering because I am supposed to do this. And when you think about it, that's interesting because he's in a jail cell. But where is he in a jail cell at? It's interesting because he would have been in a place probably tethered to a Roman guard. And at the time, he was like, man, I, I just want to preach the gospel. I want to get to Rome. Paul didn't get to Rome the traditional way. In fact, the book of Romans, Paul didn't start that church. That was somebody else. He was just writing them to them like, hey, yo, I hear what's going on. But he got the wrong. Y'all get that on your way home. But he's called an apostle. The special, the special, uh, depending on who you talk to, there's multiple iterations on what apostle is. Some would say that an apostle is just a person who had seen the risen Lord and who had been commissioned. Um, but then there's this idea in church planting terminology where they say an apostle is a person who goes into places where the gospel is not present and they begin to, um, they, they, they create something out of nothing. Think church planters. Usually they would say these type of people can go into spaces and places where they're like, man, it doesn't seem like the gospel's present. Now, that could be a little bit uh, naive because the Lord is always working in people and places, even though you may not see it. But the idea is that they can go into a place that seems desolate and say, man, you know what? We're going to set a beacon here. He's like, that's what I was called to do. And because I know that's what I'm called to do, I know that there's going to be suffering attached to that call, too. But I'm also supposed to be a teacher. You know, we got people in education in here in various spaces. Y'all know what education, y'all know what teaching is supposed to be. You're going to stand and say, this is what's real and this is what's false. And baked in that, it's going to come with suffering because not every truth that you say, people going to like. Sometimes pit stops of suffering produce clarity. And we cannot run past it. And hear me, suffering sucks. It sucks. But Paul shares with us that the suffering that we face pales in comparison to what we'll receive in Christ. And this is a harsh reality, but it's good for us to struggle with. I'm going to stop here with after I give you all of these things, and I'll probably have to pick up next Sunday and then finish uh, another sermon. But I want to just end with bathing you with scriptures to remind you that we are going to suffer, but what we get on the other side of our suffering is it's so much better. And because we've put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, 
we can handle suffering, knowing that, man, if this is all that God, this all that this world can throw at me, it pales in comparison to what we receive. First Peter chapter three, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. First Peter chapter five, verse 10. And the God of all grace who called you in his, to his eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while. Will himself restore you, make you strong, firm and steadfast. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 17, for this light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of them. Isaiah 43, verse two, when you pass through the waters, I love this, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Talking about this idea of suffering, how God is with you. He protects you. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Psalm 34, verse 19. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Psalm 119, verse 71. It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. We don't talk like that no more. Romans 5, verse 3 through 4, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Why can you suffer and suffer well? Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. Don't even put them in the same sentence, is what he's saying, with the glory that will be revealed in us. And for, for those of us who are going through it, and even though you heard all of these passages of scripture, you're like, man, there cannot be something better than what we deal with. I've clinged to this particular passage of scripture. Revelation 21, verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older, the old order of things has passed away. Here's the reality. You will go through it. But it won't be the end for you. Suffering is only but a semicolon. It ain't a period which denotes permanence that you're going to stay in suffering forever. It's not a period, but it ain't a colon, too. Because colons, in a lot of ways, allow us to see but move on quickly. But a semicolon is different. Because there is a space for us to sit in the midst of it, to reflect on what we're going through, to be able to sit in a space, to be able to reflect over what is happening in the midst of the suffering, to allow the transformation to take place. We can't run past it, but we ain't supposed to stay in it, but we're supposed to be transformed by it. And so, yeah, you pause for a moment, 
You sit in the midst of it. You allow the Lord to do what the Lord will do in the midst of that season, but eventually God will move you. That's why the scripture tells us, the psalmist says, but joy comes in the morning. And I don't know where you are time-wise in the midst of your suffering. It may be the dead of night, or it could be 5.30 and you can see it peeking over the clouds. But the promise is that it will not last always. Paul gives him this information, 9 and 10, he tells him about the power of the gospel. How strong and mighty it is for us to change our lives and to transform us. And he talks about this idea that, man, you have been entrusted with this message of the gospel. And this is good news for you. So you can handle this. You don't got to be ashamed. You can navigate through this because if literally it can raise a Jesus from the grave, then surely it can handle the suffering that you face. You can walk with confidence, Timothy. Don't quit because God did not quit on you. And he has not quit on you. You ain't by yourself in your suffering. God is present. And why do we know that this is true? Because of the gospel that we preach. That Jesus would die in your place and for your sins. That's the good news. That he would handle suffering alone on the cross. So that you would never have to be alone in the midst of your suffering. And not only did that take place, but the beauty of the gospel is that he then gives you everything you need so that you can navigate suffering with confidence. That you wouldn't be a hopeless Christian thinking that, oh, my God, this is the end of all things. He's like, no, this is just the beginning. I got you. Brothers and sisters, my hope and my prayer is that we would be believers who wouldn't be ashamed of the good news of the gospel that we would be reminded that there is power in the name of Jesus. That Jesus ain't just some regular, degular person who lived this earth, but that he was the God-man who died in your place and for your sins, who was coming back to judge the living and the dead. The one who said, man, look, I go away, but because you have put your faith and trust in me, I'm coming back for you. And while I go away, I will entrust you with the spirit so that you would be able to navigate and live the life that I've called you to, to usher in the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. That you would be the walking testimony so that when people see you suffer and you suffer well, they would ask themselves the question, what in the world and how did they do it? Let's go before the Lord and let's pray. God, I'm thankful for hard sermons. I'm thankful for moments in time where there are messages that speak to me more than maybe it speaks to the congregation. I'm just thankful that you remind me and hopefully us that we don't have to be ashamed of the message that we preach. That we don't have to be ashamed of the trials and tribulations that we may go through. Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to have courage and perseverance that as we navigate whatever trials and tribulations we may face Lord I pray that we wouldn't tire out that we wouldn't just quit on you that you would remind us that you never quit on us and that you're still using us even at times in spite of us but it's a reminder of just how good and awesome you are 
God, in the moments of suffering where people are facing, Lord, I pray that they would be able to be honest with you. They wouldn't live in denial. They wouldn't buy the lie that somehow they don't have enough faith and that's why they're suffering. But Lord, I pray that you would remind them that you use suffering for your good uh, purposes for them, even though it may be difficult. And although it may be difficult and hard, we know that you are with us. And so, Lord, I pray that you be with us, that you would help us grow up spiritually. That we would see these as opportunities to draw closer to you and not moonwalk away from you. Lord, I pray that you give us the ability to suffer well. That we wouldn't discount what we feel, but that we will be able to come to you knowing that you can handle what we go through. And we're thankful that Jesus suffered on our behalf, but that he also suffered well to leave for us a blueprint on how to suffer. And so, Lord, when these things come, may you remind us to look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter and the finisher of our faith. Would you help us to live in such a way that man will glorify you even when we find ourselves in difficult seasons? May the testing of these things that, you know, that come about in our lives, Lord, I pray that you would allow them to do the work that is necessary to remove whatever hindrances or whatever weight, whatever things that's bogging us down from walking in what it is that you called us to. But we thank you for this opportunity to be reminded of this. And Lord, I'm praying that we would be the church that people could look to when things go wrong. Because Lord, we remember that you have not forget, forgotten about us, but that you've equipped us to navigate these things. In your son's name, we pray and give thanks. Amen and amen.